Today's episode is brought to you by Death Wish, Inc. For 20 years, Death Wish has been the go-to label for emerging punk and hardcore. That continues today with their recent releases from scene staples and promising newcomers such as Modern Life is War, Greet Death, Chastity, Converge, Frail Body, and more. Get 10% off all Death Wish music and merch in their store using the link deathwishinc.com slash the first ever, which automatically applies the discount and filters the site for only items included. Again, that is 10% off all Death Wish releases and merch when you visit deathwishinc.com slash the first ever. Have you checked out those new Greek death songs? Jesus, that band is good. Start there. Welcome to the First Ever Podcast. I am your host, Jeremy Bohm. If this is your first time here, this is a show where I interview artists of all kinds about the first experiences in their art form that led them to where they are today. By the sound of my voice, you're probably saying, this man must still be on tour. And uh, I'm here to tell you, I am. I am currently recording this uh, in a hotel room in Wisconsin. My band Touche Amore is currently on a headlining tour with Vane, with Military Gun, and with Scowl. This will be coming out on a Wednesday, so tonight it's going to be uh, in St. Louis at the Off-Broadway venue. Uh, tickets are available. Uh, Friday, we're going to be at the Marquee in Denver, Colorado. I believe that show is almost sold out. I hope by the time this airs, it will be sold out. And if it's not, grab a ticket because there's like less than 20 left. Uh, Saturday, we'll be at the Soundwell in Salt Lake City. And then Sunday at uh, the Newberry in Great Falls, Montana. Never been there. Very curious how that's going to go. If you're in Montana, I hope you can make the drive because this is the uh, only second time in the entire history of our band that we've ever actually been lucky enough to make it up to Montana. Um, then we're going to be in uh, Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver, Seattle, Portland. And then on April 12th, the tour ends in Santa Cruz, California, the home of Scowl. So there you go. You can grab tickets over at uh, toucheamore.com slash tour. Would really love to see you out there. This has been far and away my favorite tour we've ever done as a headliner. It's been a blast. I cannot thank everybody enough who's been coming out and supporting this tour. I owe you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, enough about that stuff. Now let's talk about what's important, what's really important. My guest today is the one and only Jeff Rosenstock. This is a long time coming. Um, I've, I've said in multiple interviews on this show with mutual friends of Jeff that it's insane that he and I have never met. We have so many mutual friends, um, anyone from Chris Farron to Dan Ozzy, a lot of guests on the show, Laura Stevenson, um, the list goes on. So it was really cool that the first time we actually ended up hanging out was uh, on this podcast. And it was great. Uh, Jeff is as amazing as everyone says he is. And uh, I had a really great time hanging out with him. And if you want a little more, Jeff, 
head on over to the Patreon. Hit up patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon, where right now there is a bonus episode where Jeff answered questions that were submitted by subscribers. If that kind of fun interests you, hit up the Patreon, support the show, submit questions to upcoming guests, all sorts of fun stuff. I'm home from tour in a couple weeks, then I'm going to be racking up more episodes. You're going to find out about the upcoming guests, all that sort of fun stuff. Hit up patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon right now. Um, now let's shout out my uh, sponsor, Discovered Magazine. Discovered is an international print counterculture magazine encompassing the best of music, art, skateboarding, and anything with a punk ethos. Listeners get 10% off a yearly subscription using the code first ever spelled out when you visit store.dscvrd.co. All right, that's it. Enjoy the show. This is me and Jeff Rosenstock recorded well before the tour, before my voice sounded like shit. Well, shit, Jeff. Here we are. It's it's uh, it's so nice to to hang out with you for the for the first time. I've I don't know if you're aware, but I've had a running bit where I where I feel like you're avoid avoiding me because yeah, um, we have so many mutual friends, and it's like I'll be a dance for a pool party, and then I'll be like, all right, man, I'm gonna <laughs> hang out. I'm gonna I'm gonna head out. I leave, and then he'll be like. Jeff just got here. I'm like, it's, it's, he knows. That's like the story of our life in LA is that like, I don't know, Christine and I tend to like, I, I feel like in New York, it would be like 11 PM when I was like hitting people up, just being like, Hey, you want to go hang out? And I'm still like adjusting to everybody kind of goes to bed at like 6 PM over here, you know? <laughs> so we always show up to stuff late. I'm sorry. I missed you at that party. Oh, it's totally fine. It's, it's, it's See? I, I have appreciated that I've created this bit that you are doing with me that you have no idea about where it's like the, the Jeff- or maybe I'm just, I'm really leaning into it. <laughs> I'm, and now I'm just, now I'm trying to guilt you and make it seem like it's not happening. You know, I, gaslighting I'm, you. Uh, yeah, please. Yeah, I mean, that seems like your style. What completely. are you talking about? I'm not avoiding you at all, dude. <laughs> um, how long have you been in LA at this point? Um, a little over two years. We moved here January, 2020. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, that's an interesting time, time to have moved somewhere. here. Yes, definitely. Uh, and like I, I worked for the first month out here pretty straight because I had like, you know, episodes of Craig the Creek to catch up on uh, that I wasn't doing when I was moving. Um, and then we recorded No Dream like all of February. And then March, I was like, all right, fucking world's my oyster. And then, uh, no, <laughs> not so much. <laughs> I'm going to move to L.A. and I'm going to hang out with so many people. It's going to be so fun. And then no one yeah. saw each other. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Man. It's still pretty fun, though. <laughs> okay. And you're, you meant, I mean, not to blow up your spot, but you mentioned you're in, uh, you're in the Highland Park area. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm, uh, in a, I'm in a neighborhood near Highland Park. <laughs> right, right. Uh, Very close to Highland Park. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at least you landed in a spot that has things going on and great food and great all of that sort of stuff. Yeah. Whereas, whereas I feel like it's so common for someone who's not from California um, to like put themselves in potentially the worst neighborhoods to have moved to, where they're like, there's no parking, you don't see friends, or and, you know, like people who like move to like near LAX. You're like, oh no. Oh. Yeah, but the weather over there, the weather on the west side is nicer. So you get like the trade off there. Um, But yeah, I'm happy that we are where we are. Where we were. It's great. (laughs) (laughs) 
Perfect. Just keep, yeah, just get the coffee going. Are you are you, uh, are, are you uh, a late sleeper? I don't know. No, yeah. I'm not a late sleeper, but I'm a, my, I think my brain takes a minute to get there, oh. if that makes sense. I feel like I'm up a good two, three hours before my brain like really starts going. And I'm asleep like a good two, three hours before my brain stops going. Well, I don't, I'm not in tune with my body. Well, what I loved was when we were setting this up, you were like, how about we do, no, you know, like that kind of a thing. Whereas I, I and I'm, I'm with you, I'm, <laughs> I like to sleep in late too, but I feel like because you just mentioned uh, the last two years, Especially everybody seems to go to bed at like eight o'clock now and everyone's waking up yeah. at like seven. So um, it was nice to Is have that. Is that not just a thing that's out? That's I thought that was just like a California thing. Like, oh, yeah, everybody just loves the morning. And uh, I don't know. No, I think it's I think it's specifically the last couple of years where people are like, I have nothing to do. I'm going to bed. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. I like. It seemed nice the first like month or two, where it was like, you know what? Every let's all just decompress. And then I was like, oh wait, no, this isn't this isn't what this is. Right, right. This isn't um, like your nice chill time. So you're you're a you're a you're a Long Island guy, right? Let's sure. Re- yeah, from there, born and raised. Uh, yeah, yeah, born born and raised there. <laughs> Haven't lived there for like twenty years, but sure. Sure. Um, it's my cross to bear. <laughs> I, uh, I had, uh, I had Laura Stevenson on the show and, uh, you came up quite a bit in that episode, especially being, you know, that regional sort of area and things like that. Yeah. Um, uh, was that an interesting place to grow up with? Um, because it has such a specific like punk hardcore scene and things like that. Like, um, you being someone who plays in like ska bands and things, was there a whole scene for like the ska world there because i'm i mean my my familiarity with uh long island music is, is a lot more of like the hardcore sort of vibe from there um wh- wh- oh yeah 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 was there like two separate scenes or like was were they ever like meshing and and what was that like <laughs> they did not they didn't <laughs> mesh and i like grew up i like the first stuff i got into was hardcore um i don't know i think like if I if I try to trace it back tangentially, like as a kid who liked metal, like I really liked metal when I was a kid, and then like I saw a Biohazard CD um, in a in like a CD store, and it was cheap, and I thought it looked cool, and I was like, ah, mom, buy me the CD or whatever, and I got a Biohazard CD, and I kind of got into hardcore from that, and I was like going to like local hardcore shows when I was really little, and uh, I feel like they use like. I don't know, like ska bands just got shit on, shit on so much of the hardcore scene, uh, which is weird because like the ska scene in Long Island uh, was pretty, um, or at least like where I was at was like it wasn't really just like ska bands who played. It was like where all the fucking weirdo freak bands always played, like also played with like the ska bands and the punk bands and stuff like that. Um, but it did feel like Long Island hardcore was certainly its own thing uh you didn't very regularly see like uh you, you like i don't know you you could probably see like a cool ska band play on a show like if they were like an oi band or something like that or like uh with ska parts or if it was like you know super trad maybe but like not like the goofy shit that like me and my friends were getting into <laughs> Fair. uh we didn't we didn't we weren't on a whole bunch of hardcore shows or anything like that sure sure um so let me ask you this because this show is all about first experiences and things like that so like when you were young what was the first thing that you connected with musically that felt like it was yours maybe not so much something that was being played in the house but something that like you discovered on your own and were excited about oh i can i can answer that 
so like I had babysitters who were getting and like a and my brother and his friend Isaac and some babysitters were like into metal. Uh, so I was like into anthrax. Uh, I'm very into anthrax, kind of into like death and deicide and cannibal corpse and like some like all that shit. When I was like really, really young, so I was just like, all right, it's fast, like Pantera, um, all that kind of stuff. And then uh, I went over a friend's house and uh, we were just looking at his older brother CD collection and there was a Mr. Bungle CD in there. Oh, wow. Uh, And I, I really liked the song Epic by Faith No More. And I was like, oh, cool. This is Mike Pat. This is a thing with Mike Patton. This will be good. It'll sound like Faith No More. And uh, I heard it and just like became obsessed with that record. Like it was fast. It was weird. Uh, I was playing either clarinet or alto sax at the time. I loved that there were horns on it. I loved that there was so much swearing. I loved that it was so like nonsensical and it felt like I shouldn't be listening to it. Um, it that was probably that was like the first thing that I heard that I was like, "Oh fuck, um, this rules." I, I I love that through line because I like I wonder if there's anyone else that maybe the reason they ended up loving things like like ska music and like punk ska music is because yeah. of Mr. Bungle being like the meshing point between like aggressive music, <laughs> but also has horns and a sense of humor and it's dark and like all that, all of that. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't know. I, I like, I, uh, I feel like I hear people, t- I don't know. I, I haven't heard too many people who are like also had that like Bungle experience. Although like, obviously people love mr bungle i don't know if anybody ended up being like what's this other kind of music they're playing and then slowly realizing like as you hear more things like oh that's ska okay you know yeah yeah um did uh what what was your first concert that you went to was it a metal concert um no uh i saw billy joel and elton john uh at a stadium (laughs) and it was fucking sick uh and then the first like uh the first like rock show I went to was Warp Tour 1996 in Asbury Park. Uh, and my parents were very nice and they drove me and my friend Russell Martello out there. Uh, we had a zine at the time. Uh, we were trying to like interview people and stuff. Or I don't even know. Maybe we weren't trying to interview people at that. Maybe we were just trying to like get the vibe or whatever. We hadn't like had the gall yet to like hit up a publicist and be like, hey, uh, I've like. 14 years old can i come backstage and interview the descendants you know <laughs> right right uh, but uh that was like a super formative thing like every band i saw that i was just like oh my god like i'd been listening to that music and i was just like this is what this is like like seeing fishbone seeing rocket from the crypt seeing no effects seeing down by law like those four bands i like very specifically all of them i was just like this is the best thing i've ever seen in my life holy shit i want to do this this fucking rules you know right what ozfest or sorry ozfest i got metal in my head Uh, i think suicide machines maybe play that too i'm not sure um warp tour 96 was like that wasn't the first one was it no, it was the second one. It was the second one. That's right. And yeah. I feel like back then, I remember like the bills were a lot smaller too. Like, it, I mean, it had stacked bands, but like there wasn't like 300 bands on it. It was more, uh, sp- it was like more dialed in and sort of specific, right? Like there's probably like 25 yeah. bands at, t- at most, right? 
It might have been more than that, but I feel like that was like a sweet spot of it, where it was like there was two main stages and a, and ma- and one side stage, and then one like extreme sports stage, right? Um, and uh, it was cool. It w- it was sick, and just everybody playing was good. And like I I just never really been around all that kind of stuff before, you know. Um, and then uh, like I don't know, just like getting getting like CD samplers, things like that. Things where it's just like, oh my god, like you're you're giving me this for free. Like I could just listen to this music and it's free, and all these bands, like wow, and these this is so cool, you know. Did you uh, did you successfully get to interview anybody that was exciting? The next year, yeah. Okay, and. Uh, Oh my goodness. I like, I, so a friend of mine, uh, wrote all these questions for, uh, the descendants. This is after they put out everything sucks. And he was like a, uh, like an old, I mean, it's funny because we were fucking like freshmen in high school, maybe, uh, maybe still a junior high, but he was an old descendants fan, which means he liked their old shit for like probably two or three years before that and stuff. Sure. Um, so he wrote these kind of condescending questions that I ended up asking. Cause he was like, I don't want to, I'm weird at interviews. You do it. And like, uh, I didn't know that much about the descendants at that point. I kind of only really knew everything sucks and I liked that record. Yeah. Um, so I was like, asked all these kids like, why'd you soften your sound? And they're just like, I don't know. Uh, we kind of like, uh, I don't know. There was one point where Carl Alvarez said to me like, do you know the song suburban home? I was like, no. And he's like, Oh, uh, okay. Well that's like one of our like more popular songs. And, uh, this, and this, and this, and this, and I was just like, Oh God, when will this fucking end? Oh, had you uh, had you like had you like read through the questions yet or was it like you go do it then you looked at them and you're like oh no i don't know i i don't remember uh it could have been the first thing but also i could have looked at it just like whatever i don't fucking care like fair i don't i don't know i like i don't like i don't know i should have cared I, but like you know you're a kid you don't realize that like people you're talking to are people sometimes did you uh did you have like a like the handheld recorder kind of a thing or how were you doing that oh yeah yeah i had a dictaphone yeah okay nice nice how long did that zine, what was that zine called and how long did that last a zine was called Standard Ragazine because it was a rag, not a magazine. Uh, very cool. And uh, it lasted four issues. Okay. And okay. That was it. Was The Descendants like the most exciting interview that you got in there? That was a, I, like, I don't know. I, a lot of people would write back to me. Like, uh, like I emailed Goldfinger questions and they replied to me. Uh, I interviewed Real Big Fish and the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones that day. Um, Lesson Jake too. Uh, so like they were all, I mean, in like amongst all those bands, yeah, the descendants are like legends. So yes. Uh, at the time I was just like, all of these bands are like cool bands. I can't believe I'm talking to them. Let me ask them these fucking dumbass questions because I'm an <laughs> idiot. You know, Did you, uh, <laughs> as, as, so I got to ask as like, you know, your career as a musician, uh, grew and grew with like bomb the music industry and stuff like that. Like I'm assuming you crossed paths with a lot of these bands later on. Did you inform them that you interviewed them when you were a kid? Um, I think I told Les and Jake when we toured together and they were like, Oh, cool okay and i was like you were nice to me thank you and they were like oh glad we were nice to you uh but no i didn't i haven't i i didn't i haven't really crossed paths with those with other with that many of the other bands all that much okay, okay. um i interviewed suicide machines but i interviewed their bass player who isn't in the band anymore so no fair uh 
I never brought that up. <laughs> sure. So, uh, so I know you're like a multi-instrument uh, instrumentalist and everything like that. You just mentioned you were playing, um, like clarinet and, uh, and all of that. What, what was your first instrument? Um, I guess, I don't know. I forget if it was guitar or piano. Um, I know that like when I was a kid, there was a guitar or something around the house, uh, or it was like a little kid guitar that my, that my parents had gotten or something. And like they were, the song La Bamba was a really big hit. The Los Lobos, uh, re redo of La Bamba. Cause that movie had come out. Um, and I had a picked, picked up a guitar and kind of like sounded it out and stuff. And my parents were like, Oh, that's weird. Um, or like, that's cool. Uh, but I don't think I like dove into guitar too much after that. Cause I think like, I always had a problem like picking up, uh, I guess like the the initial like techniques to play anything. I think that that's still just kind of how my brain works. Is like I hear something and I just want to play it. I want to learn the fucking. I don't want to learn how to do it, uh, which doesn't really work. Uh, and I've tried to adjust. My, I've adjusted since then that like, you know, I try to be able to play the things that I want to play. But like, uh, uh, and we had a piano. And my sister was taking piano lessons, so I ended up also taking piano lessons. Okay. Uh, so I, th- I th- so I think that was like the first, like those were the ones. Yeah. Okay. But it started pretty early on. Sure. Yeah. I mean, what, I always ask like, what was like, what's a song that you learned first? So I guess it was La Bamba. Uh, was yeah. that, did, did, do you remember it coming kind of naturally? Like being I'm like, but whoa, if this is like, if I put my fingers, like, I guess that kind of makes the, like, did that, did that sort of also stick with you too? Being able to hear a song and sort of figure it out by ear? Yeah, I think so. But I don't think it was like, uh, I don't think it was anything that I was like, whoa, I could do it. I think I was just like, I don't know. Here's this thing. Also, like, this is a story my parents have told me. I don't know how fucking good it sounded. You know, I could have <laughs> just been like, bonk, 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 La Bamba, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like, I, like I, I, I grew up, like, just so uh, captivated by, like, music videos and movies with m- movies about music and stuff like that, that, like, uh, I think uh, it didn't, like striking me as like whoa this thing makes this it wasn't like that it was just like oh yeah this is i've seen somebody do this so i know that this thing makes this sound you know (laughs) did you have is there any memories that you have of like maybe the first time seeing someone perform whether it was like maybe in a movie or a music video or something like that to where you had like a oh i want to do that kind of feeling yeah but it's like it's like weird i'm trying like uh I don't know. It it was a lot of just MTV shit with like uh growing up and like probably weirdly like that kind of either Guns N' Roses or more likely shit like Bobby Brown and Madonna and Whitney Houston and Paula Abdul and like that whole like uh 90s like pop R&B uh kind of thing like i would like do like dance around in my backyard and like you know that was just kind of what was running through my head when i was like seeing this like oh yeah this is cool yeah um but i don't think it was ever like uh it's hard to think of being like uh and i don't mean this to sound whichever way it's gonna sound but i never like saw a rock star on tv and went i want to be a rock star sure like uh that i don't think i don't know if that's just because like once i really started digging into music like 
grunge was super popular and punk was super popular or just in my mind or whatever. Like all the shit I liked was kind of anti-establishment, you know? Um, I don't know. There was never like, I never really had that moment with that kind of thing where I saw somebody doing, it. I was like, Oh, that's the thing, you know? Right. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Like, I, like I want to be on stage and perform. Uh, I think is more like, you know, going that kind of stuff was like going to hardcore shows and like being like a kid and on the bottom of like a dog pile, like while some band that sounds like a, like third rate Pantera is playing on stage and just being like, I love this. I want this for my entire life. You know what I mean? <laughs> what was, uh, what was some of those, uh, some of like the, the local hardcore bands you were seeing? Uh, I really liked this band tension, uh, with the asterisk at the end of it. Um, they were probably my favorite band at the time. Uh, VOD, like if you were in our high school, like there was a, there was a VOD tape that was getting passed around before they were on Roadrunner. And like, that was the shit. And, uh, then when they got, and when they got signed to Roadrunner, we were all like, Oh, fucking cool. This is going to be sick. They're like, Oh man, they sold out. Like, I like, you know, just like kind of all of that. The, uh, it's why well, I had, uh, I had the singer of, of, uh, VOD on the podcast, like pretty, oh, early, shit. pretty early on. Cause like for me, I mean, I'm, you know, being from the West coast and I like you was a total metal kid and VOD was the first hardcore band that I ever listened to. And it was because I was That's a metal kid sick. and I bought it because it was on Roadrunner. So I was like, Oh, and I didn't even realize that it was like considered hardcore until I went and saw them. They were my first hardcore show too. Um, it was oh, like, cool. They were yeah. one of my first, they're so good. So good. So so good, yeah. It was VOD, Scarhead, Candirian, Buried Alive. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. <laughs> Hell yeah, our drummer loved Candiria. Loved Candiria. For how talented that band is, it's like a, it's kind of sad how like kind of underrated and kind of you know not really talked about Candiria is. Like, I mean, they mixed so many genres and such and such talent. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. It, it's uh. I don't know, but like I feel like if you talk about them in Long Island, they're probably still royalty, right? Oh. They're they're a Long Island band, right? Or did just like a lot of Long Island kids like them? Probably Do we lot, know? Brooklyn, <clears throat> Brooklyn, New York, close mm, enough. Nice. You think they're uh, lying on their wiki? You think uh, they're really from Elmont and they're like, oh, we're close enough. It's Brooklyn, <laughs> Brooklyn, babe. <laughs> um, does, uh, so when did you start your first band? Um, I was 13 and, uh, yeah, it, it, um, and it was, it ended up being ASOB. Uh, I, I started, we were just like at a friend's, we were at a friend's house, me and my friend Joe, um, a couple of days earlier, uh, a friend of mine had died uh, playing a game of chicken with a car. Uh, we were like kids. Uh, it was really fucked up and weird. Uh, I didn't go to the funeral. I was freaked out. Uh, and I hung out with my friend and two of his friends that day. Uh, instead, um, I don't know if that's an important detail. It's just something that I remember. Um, and uh, we were hanging out with these two friends who were girls, and me and Joe were like, oh, yeah, 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 we have a band. Uh, we're cool. Aren't we cool? Uh, and we were like 13 years old. And they are like, oh, cool. Uh, and then we're like, okay, well, I guess we have a band now. Uh, and then, like, in the interim of that, I also had a band with uh, those kids who I had the zine with. Um, 
That was like a hardcore band. Uh, that band never played any shows. That band I started with Joe, though, ended up turning into uh, the arrogant sons of bitches who like ended up being a band for a long time. Okay. Uh, and just for my own curiosity, with the hardcore band that never played shows, were you singing in that band? Maybe. Yeah, a little bit. Me and my friend Billy were both singing in that band. The time of the two uh, we, had, we had a song about uh, riding the bus and pushing the tape called Push the Tape. <laughs> the most important things uh, going on in, in the life of a 13-year-old. I get it. You have, to sing, about, you have yeah. to sing about the intensity of what's going on. I get it. It was an intense song. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you remember the name of the hardcore band? Just for my own, I got to know. Yeah, it what? was Oral Assault. A-U-R-A-L Assault. And uh, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that the original name of ASOB was the Hippie Bugs. The Hippie Bugs. <laughs> yeah. Maybe a better band name. I don't know. <laughs> it's up for debate. It's up for debate. Um, did, uh, I, I saw that the first uh, ASOB record um, came out in 1998. So you and I are yes. one year apart in age, I think. I was born in 83. Um, okay, cool. So that would have put you as like, what, you were like 15? 16 when that came out yes 15 when that came out wow that's that's or 15 I, we recorded it maybe 16 when it came out um so i got two questions one um was that your first time ever recording like going into a, yes and was that like a at a recording studio yes. that might not have been my first time recording that was my first time recording at a studio okay um but we had done some demos before that um one with their friend Joe Vasquez, who had like an ADAT Pro Tool set up in his garage. Um, and we had tracked a song for a compilation before that as well. And that was actually in a real studio. So that was that we tracked uh, the song, this great song uh, called The Guy from Subway um, at uh, this guy Steve's studio in Freeport, Long Island. Um, and, uh, it was actually, in hindsight, it was a pretty sick, like, real-ass studio. Um, I don't think we were on, like, tape tape, but I'm pretty sure we were... There was no computer. I think we were just, like, recording straight to ADAT. Um, it's actually a pretty good experience. <laughs> That's, and I mean, then the that... record was later, yeah. Uh, well, the first question I have is, um, was there a bone to pick with the guy from Subway? No, it was a dumb song I wrote about, like, a a girl who had broken up with me and then started dating a friend of mine, and then I used somebody who worked at Subway as a metaphor for that. It's a bad song. <laughs> I love it. I love it's it. It's embarrassing. It's like, or it's not embarrassing. It's just like, because whatever, it's you know, juvenile. we, all, get it. we yeah. all have lived through our adolescence, yeah. but like, uh, but like, uh, yeah, it's certainly, uh, it's certainly something that's funny to talk about. Like I love it. 24 years later. I mean, that's... I was just trying to sing as fast as possible. I like heard an against authority record. It was like, I want to do that. You know, <laughs> that's my, I mean, that's, that's kind of the, the, the fun thing about this whole show. It's like, I frame it around as like yeah it's like the humble beginnings all the stuff that you're like oh my god i haven't talked about that and thought about that in 22 <laughs> years oh my god um so i uh, had to play i did like a charity live stream thing uh where it was like uh like put in a raffle ticket request a song uh and the guy from subway got pulled out of the hat and i was just like oh my god you okay you remembered how to play go. it let's ah, go sure to an extent 
I don't remember all the words, and there are some words that I remember. I was like, I'm not going to sing that, uh, <laughs> you know? A thousand percent, yeah. Um, what was? What do you remember from that first recording experience, though? Like, um, like I'm assuming you were singing. Like, was yeah. wh- how was that for you, like, singing into a, a mic in that sort of uh, situation and, like, hearing your voice back and all, all of that sort of stuff? Were you comfortable? Did it make you uncomfortable? For the recording for Guy from Subway, it was like it was awesome. I think, uh, like, I think about how I record vocals now and how I have recorded vocals on other records, and I don't really think uh, I don't feel like I went through any of that shit on that. I feel like the guy was just like, okay, record it, and then like I'd run out of breath. He'd be like, okay, we'll punch you in and just keep going, and then I'd run out of breath. He'd be like, okay, I'll punch you in, we'll keep going, and then it was done. Like, I we didn't like go back and like you know, go nuts trying to like fix certain things. And it doesn't really sound like a like crazy out of tune or anything like that. Um, it was a good, it was, it was one of the better experiences I could think of tracking vocals before. Like uh, I start before I basically just started doing it myself. Cause I didn't want to deal with like the pressure of trying to do it, you know? Um, with that, well, firstly, uh, let me ask, I saw the, the, the built to fail record came out on a label called breaking the law records. Is that a self-release? Is that like your own label or is that actually a label out no. of Long Island? <laughs> that was, well, that was somebody who said they were a label, this guy, Zach, who in hindsight was nice enough to, to like make CDs for us, but he just went to Kinko's and Xerox the cover and printed a bunch of CDRs. And then put Breaking the Law Records on it. And I remember we got it. We were like, what the fuck is this, dude? You said you were getting these pressed. And it was like, yeah, I, this is how I did it. And we were just like, ah. Uh, but that was Breaking the Law Records. And in hindsight, like, I should be so lucky that a kind person wanted to spend money on CDRs and Kinkos for my fucking little band, you know? Sure. But, yeah, you had you had big dreams of seeing your, your CD at uh, Tower Records or something like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah, it's, yeah, I think our CD at Sam Goody, because Sam Goody would have a local section. And, like, our, our friends slash sister band slash rival band, Nothing Grabs With Orange, who, like, we shared members at times. And, like, they were, like, the ska band who was, like, trying to, like, you know... Uh, this is reductive, but like basically, like they saw Save Ferris do good. They're like, we're gonna do that. Like we we want to do like pop, like real big fish, Save Ferris style ska. And I was just like, I want this band to be the most abrasive fucking band you've ever seen. I want it to like, I want when you go to shows for it to like feel dangerous. So we were always like at odds. Anyway, their CD was like pressed and in shrink wrap, and they got it in the Sam Goody local section, and like. We were like, hey, man, can we get our CD here? Can we play here? There was like, um, this is like Kinko Xerox. We just can't. We we have to draw a line on the sand somewhere. <laughs> uh, so it was never Sam Goody. But you know what? It all turned out fine. <laughs> um, I'm going to throw a guess, but I could be wrong. Was the first show that you played, because with the Age Rage, was it like a talent show or like a battle of the bands? Or what was the first show? No, we didn't. Uh, so the hardcore band I had submitted, it might have been ASB. It was one of those bands I had submitted for uh, our local rock fest, which was run by the place that gave guitar lessons and the church. And um, I put five songs that we recorded, like just into a tape recorder that sounded like trash. And then I put a Crimp Shrine song at the end of it, just literally a Crimp Shrine song. <laughs> Not even a cover. And I was just... like, 
I was like, okay, well, this is like this record kind of sounds like garbage because also like I'm used to like hearing like I don't know Nirvana and Green Day. Those records sound big. I was like, okay, this record sounds kind of trashy, so we'll cover this song. This is just basically the same thing. And the guy was like, okay, so you've got like five songs in here that sound awful, and then you put a professionally recorded song on here. Uh, you can't play. Uh, you can't play the Rock Fest this year. Sorry, and nothing rise <laughs> with orange could. I was, I was like, God damn it. Um, uh, we played a show in my parents' backyard. That was a fundraiser for uh, the zine uh, to make the next issue. Um, so it's cool. Super, super cool. Super, super cool of my parents to let that happen because, like, the bands that we played with, notably this band, The Posers, who had members end up being in Take It Back Sunday, were, like, fucking bad boys. They were, like, when they played shows, venues got shut down. Like, but there are also kids that like I took swim class with when I was like five or six years old. So like we all knew each other and my parents were like, oh, this is Neil and Sean's band, you know? Um, but uh, yeah, it was kind of, I, I remember like that show, just like people drinking vodka, <laughs> like out of the bottle behind like the garage at my parents' house. Uh, and be like, hey, hey, guys, please. And then uh, our and then ASOB was so bad that our drummer left in the middle of the set, <laughs> and then that was it. And that was our first show. Like literally, just put the sticks down and was like, I, I think I have to walk away. Yeah, and he was like a very, very, very good friend. And uh, and then after that, like it never really, we never really like fully patched things up. Like we were still buddies and stuff, but uh, that that one uh, that one stung. I kept that one with me for a little bit. Oh my god! Um. Uh, and then our, and then our first like show show that we played was at a uh, Scotty. I, I'm pretty sure it was at Scotty D's Urban Joe Cafe, which was a coffee shop in Rockville Center, uh, not too far from where Laura grew up. Oh wow! Okay. And yeah. how was was that a much better experience? I hope that was. Yeah, we were we were good. Uh, that was. I think it took a little while for us to really like actually get good, um, but we were good. That was like a beginner's luck kind of show where it was like, oh, we're kind of good. John, who plays bass in my band now, um, and who played guitar in ASOB for a bit, and also played bass in Bomb, like just ended up playing drums at that show. Uh, uh, because we had no drummer because uh, like two other drummers had quit in the middle of that uh and uh it was and he was surprisingly good he like held it down and we were we were pretty good at that show um we weren't good at the many shows after that it took us a while to bounce back up but yeah Fair. i remember that one being good today's episode is brought to you by anchorfish printing hey are you thinking about starting up that band label or distro or maybe you already have one and you need some merch. Anchorfish Printing has been taking care of bands for over 15 years. I can speak from personal experience. When Touche Amore started, Michael at Anchorfish was our guy for shirts, hoodies, patches, back patches, anything uh, that you know you could put ink on material for, he can take care of. Check out their uh, Instagram over at anchorfish underscore printing right now and mention the first ever podcast and receive 10% off your order. Hit them up for shirts, hats, stickers, anything you can really think of and be on your way. Um, and then I saw that. So it's, it's, it's interesting because I have a similar situation where I was in <clears throat> a band in high school and then it went on after high school, you know, like it continued mm-hmm. after high school. Um, and then so that so that band 
ended up um, ending, it looks, it's at least from what I saw, like maybe 2006, 2005, 2006. Um, and then you had that last record, uh, the Three Cheers record come out, like get pressed on vinyl. Cause that's, a, that's a, that interesting time where like, it was all CDs probably for the early 2000s. And then now it's like yeah. mid 2000s vinyl boom is starting to sort of percolate and creep up and everything. Um, was that something that excited you? Like, were you a vinyl kid already? And uh, like getting your record on vinyl the first time, I'm just wondering how that felt for you. Um, the, so the first thing that that I put out that was on vinyl wasn't that. Oh. It was this uh, split that uh, bombed the music industry, which at that point was just me in uh, my bedroom at my parents' house. Uh, did a split with Rick Johnson, Rock and Roll Machine, and... Uh, for it was a president's day split because we wanted it to be a christmas split seven inch but we weren't going to make it in time so it ended up being a president's day split seven inch the second best um, holiday <laughs> yeah everybody's <laughs> the most notable of holidays uh but it was a thing where like bomb very specifically and very adamantly i was like i do not want to make any merch i don't want to make any cds i want to record stuff on my own i want to put it out for free i don't want I just don't want to, I want to have a job and I want this to not be the job. I want to make music and feel like I'm free from, uh, feeling any financial pressure from it. Um, and then Matt flood who runs asbestos records was like, yo, you want to do a seven inch? I was like, yeah, fuck it. Of course I want to do a seven inch. Let's go. Uh, cause I never had anything of vinyl. And I was like, I, I was like, Oh my God, a seven inch, like the Civ social climber seven inch. You bet. I want to do that. Uh, and uh, yeah, and then um, earlier, and then other bomb stuff started getting pressed on records, and it was it was just super exciting. Like it was these small runs, but we would do like crazy variants because I was just like, oh my god, like it was amazing. It's on vinyl now. Uh, it's funny how it's changed now, where it's just like, okay, how many records are we pressing? When are we gonna get them? Two thousand twenty six. Okay, you know. <laughs> yeah, uh, was- but yeah, it was fucking thrilling then. To like getting it was just like I could it's unbelievable, you know? Yeah, and, and was it probably from that first from that first seven inch and going forward where you're like, well, everything I do now has to be on vinyl. Um, I guess so. It just yeah. started all making sense. Like Flood just kept asking me if I if I wanted to do it. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, Yeah, sure, you know. Um I and also like the seal was broken. Like, what are you supposed to do? Like, you know, I already fucked up. I already went back on my word. Might as well continue to go back on my word. Um, I mean, I, it's, uh, and it, it was also like as exciting when I got like our first, like really pr- our first pressed CD, like when ASOB did uh, our second record, Pornocracy, uh, it was like getting the CD. I remember just being like, wow, it's real. Like, look at like the, the the cd face is like it looks like a cd because it's a cd and the back of it is silver and not blue because it's like real because we really made a thing and like the insert has three panels i guess instead of two maybe it might have i forget but i remember just being like the paper feels real like it all just felt really real i think it had like one of the barcodes on the top even though like what the fuck we have a fucking barcode for uh but i had like one of those stickers on the top you know i was like oh my god oh my god uh so it was always exciting when like i 
when like a thing happened and it felt like it was a real thing, you oh, know? One, yeah, absolutely. I remember that feeling too. Like uh, my shitty high school band got, yeah, we like, you know, sent it off to a factory. And of course, when we got it back, we realized we had bad art files. So it was still a little pixelated looking. <laughs> like, oh yeah. Same here. I didn't know. Uh, oh my God. If I only knew 300 DPI is great, but your font's got to be vectors. <laughs> I no idea. Yeah. It was just like, uh, like Your it. fonts better be 600 or up. You better not. Because they were all, I had all these like tiny fonts that were half-toned. I was like, God, God damn it. Um, so, you know, it, it's easy to, to look at like your discography and just be like, you're an extremely prolific person where, you know, I was going through stuff like preparing things to ask you or talk about. And I was just like, you're in so many goddamn bands. You have had so <laughs> many bands. Um, what What do you think the... Uh, what do you think the driving force for that is? Is it like a, I can't sit still. Like if I'm not working on something, I have to, I have to, uh, you know, like what, what do you find the driving force yeah. for that to be? I don't know. I mean, that's part of it for sure. Like I don't really have a particularly easy time relaxing. Um, and I don't know when I, when I, uh, yeah, I don't know. I've always had fun doing it. So, like, I always just, have, like, it's something I enjoy doing. It's something I always try and make sure I continue to enjoy doing and I continue to have fun doing. So it's like, I don't really think of it like that. It's just like, if I have, it's different now because my job job is making music. But even in my downtime, like, if you were like, what's your dream thing that you would want to do today? I would be like, I want to go to a practice space and like have a couple of beers and like play bass in a band for like a day and just hang out with my friends and play music, you know? Um, so I think it just end up being in a bunch of doing a bunch of things like in other bands, like appearing on other stuff, because when everybody asks me, I'm like, of course. Yeah. Cause I like doing it. Um, I don't think about time management or anything like that, which always ends up like biting me in the ass, but like, uh, I think the reason why I've, why I've made so many things or been in so many bands is just simply because like, I'm not, I don't know. I, I don't think about it. It's just what I, it's the thing I would like to do. And I, and I still feel lucky that I'm able to do it, you know? So I just want to keep doing it. When you're, I mean, this is a question I'm sure you've been asked before, but like, because you've had so many projects and stuff, like if you start, if you come up with a song idea do you do you ever would you often have the thing of like oh this doesn't feel like it'd be a bomb song this feels like it should be something else so now I have to start this other band with other people like has that happened to you or no no not really like I I always tried to keep bomb and the solo band like pretty open and flexible to like make whatever kind of music I think just to me that kind of like career trajectory in bands that i like like when they pull it off good like i think that that shit is cool when bands can pull it off it could like grow and still like uh make records that are good you know what i mean uh hop along i think is a really good example of that the sidekicks are a good example of that laura is a good example of that ajj is a good example of that uh like a lot of the bands that like um, that that bomb like toured with and played with or that we play with now like just I, I was just like oh yeah shit they just keep putting out good records or like you know like Bruce Springsteen or like fucking like I don't know Tribe Called Quest or like uh, like there's just bands that like they just keep like doing things you know and it keeps getting better and better because they keep like stretching um so i i've never really been like i want to do this thing for this thing i think i was just like okay if i write a song it's gonna end up being 
at, at the time it would have been a bomb song and currently it'd be like a Jeff Rosenstock song. And then there's like Bruce Lee band shit where Michael be like, Hey, write a ska song for this record. I'll be like, okay. Or Antarctica stuff where Chris will bring in, uh, ideas and I will, uh, sometimes keep them the same or sometimes be like, Hey, what if we tried this vibe for this? And he'll be like, Oh yeah, cool. We'll try that. Uh, but as far as like shit that I write, like it just kind of always ends up being my own thing. Fair enough. Um, I want to ask what your first touring experience was like. What band was that with? First touring experience? Well, it was definitely ASOB. Um, we had done small things. It's so... Because, like, being from the Northeast, uh, I don't know if it's the same as out here, but you're so close to so much. So, like, we wouldn't tour tour, but we would do weekends where we would play like new jersey connecticut and somewhere in massachusetts or like upstate and we would just like do those weekends and then do it and come back um and we'd stay and those always felt really really like special and magical um and really cool uh i'm trying to remember what like the first tour tour we did um like a lot was booked through book your own fucking life it's so weird i'm bummed that like I'm bummed thinking about it now that like a lot of those really early ones are kind of blending together. We definitely did a tour where all I could, where we went out as far as Ohio. Um, and all I could really remember is a photo that doesn't exist anymore of our van that eventually died, just like leaking green shit in a parking lot at a rest stop in Ohio and just being like, Oh God, we got to get this van back home. We're in trouble. Yeah. Uh, uh, but it was like the stuff ASOB did when we did early tours. Like it was weird because we were doing it ourselves, but we were not part of a DIY community. Like we were just like, okay, I know that book your own fucking life has these venues that you can hit up. So we're just going to hit all these venues up. And sometimes it'd be bars. Sometimes it would just be like some weird catering hall. Like I remember like whatever our Chicago show would have been, or maybe it's our Cleveland show, but it was like way outside of the city and like some dark, like hall that it would seem like it would be a place that like somebody to have a sweet 16. And there were like six people there. Uh, and I don't really know why they were there. And I don't even remember there being like a ton of bands or anything. It seemed like, you know, the shows you play, where the promoter seems like they're just kind of like, well, I booked this show because that because <laughs> that's what I do. Yep. Uh, and like, uh, I don't know, like we, we did a lot of those weird things. And then uh, which like bless everybody's heart for for even considering having us like we didn't have like good music out. Like, I don't or I don't know, like. That, like I appreciate it in hindsight, uh, but at the time it, there we were definitely like doing things. That it was just like, what the fuck is this shit that we're doing? Uh, like when we when we would tour because our our shit in the Northeast was like always pretty good. Like we knew like the VFW halls or whatever to play, and we had a good community with our our label at that time, Kill Normal Records, and like there was a lot going on. But once we started like branching out, we really didn't know what to do for quite some time maybe till the end of that band uh what was the first uh i just out of curiosity what was the first time you made it out west like played california what was it would that have been with bomb that was asob that was uh we booked a tour out there um and then we got and our so it was like we booked our tour out there 
um, our record label was like, we're going to book your tour home. Uh, we kept asking them for the dates every day that we would go. Uh, and then finally we got to like Boise or Montana or somewhere. Uh, and we're, and they were like, yeah, we didn't book you anything. And we're just like, what the fuck? What are we supposed to do? Uh, so, uh, we ended up whatever day that was, I guess it was Boise. Um, warp tour was in town. Uh, some, the 1-800 suicide, uh, was doing like the take action booth and stuff. Um, and I had done some, like, uh, I, like I basically just at every show that we were playing that summer, I was getting, uh, I was just like printing out petitions and having people sign them to get like, uh, I think I, I forget what to get at the time to get like a national suicide hotline, or it was just like to help funding or whatever. But I was, I was in touch with somebody there because I was like, Hey, where can I send all these petitions? I printed them out. It got kids to sign them. And they were like, Oh shit, that's nice of you. Um, so I emailed that person. I was like, Hey, I know that you are out here today do you need help at the warp tour? Like we have nothing going on. Our tour just got like canceled. Like we're out here. I just don't know what to do. And I would, I don't know. Like, could we just hang for the day because we have to go somewhere? Um, and she was like, yeah, of course. Uh, I'd love to have you help. Uh, and then our keyboard player, got in touch with flood who later put out those bomb records. He was working with, uh, uh, the other person from Asbestos, uh, Scott, who passed away a couple of years ago, rest in peace, Scott Rocks. Uh, and they work at the Subway Sandwich Tent, and they were basically like, yo, you could just play at our tent acoustic, and we got these passes, and you could just get in for free. And JT told us that, and we we're like, oh, shit. Um, and then also, we had a generator with us, so when when I was done, also, like, in the meantime... Uh, I uh, plea for peace had set up next to take action. So I'd met uh, my friend Chris. God, I'm rambling. I'm sorry. I love it. Basically, like, so plea for peace was set up next to the take action thing. So I ended up meeting my friend Chris Candy, who I'm still good, good friends with today. Um, and him and, Ar- and Ariel, uh, who worked at Take Action at the time, were just like, yeah, man, like, we are happy to have help, happy to have you hang, be at the thing, like, whenever if you want to hang on for tomorrow when we're in Montana, like fucking go for it. Um, I was like, cool. Uh, and then there was a tornado and the show was getting let out early. So we set up our generator in the parking lot and played in the parking lot of the generator in a tornado as everybody was leaving. Uh, and then, uh, we just, we like talked to the parking people and we were just like, Hey, so like, how do we park back here with the bands and not get kicked out? And he was basically, and the guy was basically like, clean up around the outside of your van, clean up around the outside of the van on the left and right side of you. We will never bother you. And we're like, okay. So we just kind of hung on the tour for like two or three weeks and just showed up every day with our passes from subway. Sometimes we would play there. I met some other friends who were filming this movie, punk rock Holocaust, uh, which had a bunch of like warp tour bands getting killed on it. Um, they had a booth. They loved that we had a generator or they had a bus. They loved that we had a generator. Um, we played shows outside of their thing on a generator after enough time. Somebody there was like, 
hey, you want to play Kevin Says stage? Because also, like, we were hanging around the Kevin Says stage because we knew, like, that was the charity stage. So we were like, okay, these people are, like, doing good things. If we have time to help out, let's also pitch in a hand. Because we understood we were guests somewhere. Meanwhile, also, like, selling CDs for, like, five bucks in the, like, line. Just be like, yo, listen to this. It's an enhanced CD. It's got three hours worth of music on it. Uh, And, like, just kind of getting by like that and selling merch and... uh yeah, we hung on for like two or three weeks. Uh, eventually, we went home because uh, we had to return the trailer we had borrowed from Big D and the Kids Table because they were going to do the Warp Tour. Um, and then we drove out and met back up with it in Texas. And then uh, at that point, uh, there were shenanigans of bands sneaking on and stuff. And two days later, there was a memo uh, that said all of these bands are no longer welcome here oh, in the Warped no. Tour. And we were listed on it three times, and I think our name was never correctly spelled right. This is what this is what somebody in my band told me. So maybe true, maybe not true. Um, but yeah, that was our first trip out to the West Coast. Wow. It was, uh, but it was also like, it was it was awesome. It was great. What, yeah. a, what a fucking wild ride. And also just like so tweaked out, like drinking canned water and eating like Easy Mac samples. And like, that's it. Because we were just like broke you know uh it was crazy i mean that's extremely time and place too you know like that only could have happened then you know what i'm saying yeah like it that's it's uh, i'm sure you i'm sure there was a lot of very hard times in there but also at the same time i'm sure you wouldn't trade it for the world that sounds like such an adventure yeah absolutely not and also like i don't know i was 20 so yeah whatever like i like i was tired like and also like i don't know i was fucked up at dealing with like mental health shit all the time so it was just kind of like what's some more mental health shit you know like which which frying pan am i gonna jump into like it really like i it was such like a weird time for me mentally that like it kind of didn't matter or not that it didn't matter but like putting like pushing my brain and my body to the limits was just like it really didn't like seem to fucking like i don't know man it was just so nihilistic at that point that it was just like whatever fuck it let's fucking go i mean we were like you know like i was saying we were a very destructive band uh so what what better way to fucking destruct than like have to do like 10 hour drives in a van show up at 6 a.m try and sleep for two hours in the heat play at 1 p.m and then like stay awake and walk around a hot parking lot all day like yeah gimme the the dream the dream Uh, yeah i I feel like you'll appreciate this my uh uh, i had a i had a band in like the mid-2000s that like straight up shouldn't have toured you know like we had we didn't have records i we just had myspace plays so we thought we felt yeah we felt like we were in the right to do that um but you are in the right to do that <laughs> we played uh we the first time we did the only time we did a full us we played we ended up getting booked at the atlantic in gainesville and we oh, cool literally played like not a single person came it was like the promoter the bar the sound person and the bartender who were in there and i remember actually no that's i'm i'm lying two college kids walked in watched our set for five minutes and were like fuck this and left um (laughs) so the promoter at the end of the show uh like pulled out five dollars and was like here's here's what you're getting for this for this show and um it was you know something that always stood out but then it was funny i've completely erased that happening and then when um my band touche amore played the fest for the first time 
we walked into the Atlantic and I completely had forgotten it. And I like, as soon as I walked in, I was just like, Oh my God. It's like, <laughs> it all came flooding back to me. I was like, this is, and like the, it was the craziest thing. And then I felt very good and validated being like, there's people here. Things yeah. Cause changed. it was probably a packed show of Touche Amori's playing the Atlantic. Yeah. There's people at that show. Yeah. It was like us comadre, like law dispute or something like that. Like it was like a very, very fun, fun, like exciting show. But, and I, but it was just like this That's very like sick. uplifting moment where I was like, things have changed for me. <laughs> that's cool those things it's yeah that's nice is i'm happy that uh you had your redemption yeah um so i we could we could jump around but i did want to ask um so you have your own label that the the quote-unquote uh labels that so you started that early on and it seems like you're still doing it to this day right or have you did you yeah to an extent i mean once like band camp and streaming started happening it kind of felt like okay, well, this all exists everywhere else now. I didn't really see the reason for doing it other than being a tastemaker, which is not what I'm trying to do. Yeah. Uh, so uh, every now and then something like I'll talk to a, a buddy and just be like, oh, fuck, let's just put on quote unquote, let's go. Um, and it'll happen. But it, it's pretty uh, it's pretty chill. The, the, the physical label Really Records is still like, we do a couple of things every year and we that that's still going. Cause I wanted to ask, cause, um, it seemed like you had been doing a, a lot on that label. And then, um, for the, we cool record, you ended up going to, to side one dummy. Was that for you? Yeah. Like you looked at that as an opportunity to like get your record out more, but was there also like a, Oh, this alleviates a lot of the stress that I have of having to put out my own records. No, not, not at all. Like, uh, I like putting it, I mean, I'd only like put out a record. So quote unquote, uh, was, it, and is just a digital label. Oh, okay, it's just sure. donations. It's a free label. It's all free. There's a PayPal link uh, that isn't intrusive, and you could donate straight to the bands, and that's the whole thing. Uh, cool. I put out the last bomb record on Really Records, uh, which was my record label. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, I think with We Cool, I it was originally going to be on Asian Man, and then. Uh, which which was fine. It wasn't really because uh, I was like didn't want the stress of doing it. It was more just like I don't, I didn't, I didn't think I could push it the way that I wanted to push it because I saw how vacation went, um, and I'm proud of it, and I think it's really good. But also, I was just like I, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I want to do exactly that again. You know. Um, Anyway, it was supposed to be on Asian Man, and then Side One got in touch, and I spoke to Mike Park a bunch about it and did a lot of soul-searching about it. Uh, and I was just like, okay, let's see where this fucking weird road goes, you know? Uh, and at that point, I'm, I'm assuming that you probably already knew the Fake Problems guys at that point who were on that label, and I'm sure that maybe... I, I know sometimes people will go to labels because they're like, oh, well, if our friends are there, maybe it's going to be okay. Yeah, in particular, AJJ was there at the oh, time. True. Yeah, um, but also like I don't know, Side One was the first label that ever wanted to put out my music without me like getting in touch with them first. You know, uh, even Asian Man, like I, uh, I got I got in touch with Asian Man because Chris, who worked at that at the Plea for Peace booth at the Warp Tour, like we remained friends, and I was just like, oh, would you ask Mike for me? Uh, and that's how that happened. But side one, like somebody reached out, Christina reached out to me because uh, she heard from our merch guy, Eric, 
and Val, our merch friends and night owls that like we had, we had demos or something like that. Right. Right. Um, so, and so that was just weird. I was like, okay, well I know that they, I know that they could do big stuff and I don't know if, I don't know what makes sense for us, but I know that we've done all this other shit before. So why not try and do a different thing? Was we cool your first time working with Jack Shirley? Yeah. Awesome. And how did that relationship start? What did I'm, was, I'm, I'm going to create my own story, which was you met at fest because of Comadre. Is that true? No, nope. we never crossed paths with Comadre. Isn't that wow. crazy? We played the same fucking show, that hotel show. I watched Comadre do those at the drive-in songs. I thought, who is this band? They're the best band ever. Uh, never found out who that band was. Uh, and then, uh, yeah. So he recorded that classics of love record. Um, and I was like, oh, my God, this thing sounds sick. And then he, I uh, got really into that Deaf Heaven record, uh, Sunbather. Um, like, just straight up, that first song, that record, Dreamhouse, is, I Unreal. think it's one of, the, one of the best songs of all time. Uh, I, I can't, I, I, I haven't had too many experiences as an adult where, like, I've heard something and I've thought, I have not heard something that sounds like this. Uh, and I know that like maybe black metal kids might be like, you fucking idiot. This fucking bear was doing this. But like, I hadn't, I hadn't heard somebody play these like soaring, like tremolo guitars with like blast beats and like, just, uh, just like violent screams. Um, and I was just like, this is amazing. And then, uh, and then hard girls recorded a thousand surfaces with Jack. And when they sent me, uh, they sent it to me cause we're friends and they're like, check it out. Our record's done. I was just like, holy shit. You guys sound fucking amazing. They're like Jack Shirley. And I was like, uh, you think he'd record my band's record? They're like, yeah, sure. I bet he'd record your band's record. And then, uh, I, and I like went into it thinking of talking, uh, to this, uh, big time producer because honestly I fucking am like, nobody's better than him right now. Like he's at the top of his game and he's, so he's good. better than, than most, uh, but he didn't really treat it like that. And we just like had a normal, nice talk. And he was like, okay, so we'll record your record in five days. I was like, ah, we'll see about that. And he's like, we'll track you live. And I was like, ah, we'll see about that. Uh, and then uh, we went in and like, you know, I went to San Jose, the band practice for four days. We were a new band. We had never played together before. It was just like, this is my solo record. I think you're all good musicians. Will you play in my solo record? Uh, and then uh, we went in and like tried playing it live all together one time. He's like, we'll try it and then we'll do, you know, we'll do it multi-track if this doesn't work. And like we played and then when he played it back of the tape machine, I was just like, wait, is making a record that easy? Is that all we had to fucking do? Like, it sounds good. Like, how yeah. does it already sound good? How did you make it so it already sounds good? I think about the shit that I recorded, like apartments and houses and stuff like that. How much time I spend, like, on drums to just make them not sound bad. And, like, he seemingly did nothing and it already sounded like better than anything I'd ever recorded. Um, yeah. And Him then, couch. and that was the start of everything. <laughs> Him capturing live bands is like no one else. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, or, or he's like the master. Live, yeah. Like, yeah, having all, having the the record being recorded live. Like, I, there's been so many records where I've at. I remember, like, yeah, even like the Deaf Heaven records. I remember asking them, like, oh, you certainly did this track, you know, separate tracks, and they're like, no, that was live. It's like, fuck, yeah, yeah, it's crazy. It's cool. That's why it's I, good. I don't. I would never track any other way. And like records that I've produced since then. uh, like there's always a ton of arguing of me being like, no, 
Just track it live. Trust me, you're a good band. Just track it live. It's going to take less time and it's going to be better. Um, and I, you know, I, I think that in a, in a very, very big way. Sure. Um, I don't, that's because of Jack. I don't have much of a, a question to this. I just need to let you know that please, um, (laughs) the cover of, uh, of worry, the picture of Casey Lee is, (laughs) is that, that cover has brought me such joy because I know Casey so, so well. I've known Casey since I think I met Casey when he was 13 years old. Cause I was, I was working at a record shop in Burbank and he had moved there to be like, uh, to try acting as a young kid. Yeah. So he was like homeschooled, didn't have any real friends really. So he would just come into the record store and like do laps. And then I eventually just like stopped him and like started talking to him and we became friends, you know, like pals, you know, like I kind of took him under my wing and like, you know, showed him some music and like, he would just hang out at the store all day. He became like the store's mascot in a way we all loved him. And That's so sick. that photo of Casey, like perfectly, perfectly <laughs> illustrates his laugh and the joy that like comes out of him when he's like being silly. You know what I'm saying? So like when, yeah. I, when I saw that cover, it just like warmed my heart. I was like, Oh, he, Aww. this is perfect. It's perfect. It's such, I, I, it's such a, it's such a good picture. Hero, Tanako took that picture. So that's like just a wedding photo for me and Christine's wedding. Yeah. Uh, and I just threw that in as a placeholder when I was trying to make art. And I was just like, wait, this just here. Like, I don't know. Here it just captures these moments when people are experiencing something amazing and they don't know that he's there taking a picture of it. Uh, yeah. I'm so happy that it makes you happy. It's a good picture. Of it's, Casey. A, it's a great picture of Casey. Somebody, I saw a thing. Somebody got that tattooed on them. Casey is tattooed on somebody. Holy shit. Like a real life. I'll, I'll look it up and I'll fucking, I'll send it to you. Please. Uh, but like a straight up, like, like, you know, it's, it's like a, it's like a photo realistic tattoo of Casey. It's incredible. I wonder if he knows. I, I need to reach out to him. I, I really he does sh- not know. I didn't tell him. Yeah. <laughs> I should tell him. He'd be stoked. Um, but, uh, and so, I mean, this is skipping ahead a little bit. So I know you had a record come out in 2020. Um, uh, I also had a record come out in 2020. I want to know how you felt about it at the time. Because I made jokes. I was like, yeah, we sacrificed a record to 2020. <laughs> um, and I'm also wondering if you've had a chance now to... Have you done any like headlining tours off of it or anything like that yet? Yes. Uh, we did. We just got back from a 29-show tour. Congrats. Uh, where no one got COVID until the day we got home, and then me and, like, three other people at the Scott Show got COVID. Uh, but, it, but you know, made it through the tour, so. I just, uh, I just, it's funny. You and Jonah Ray are the same people in the sense of uh, people that <laughs> are within my, within the friend group, but never hung out with. So I just, yeah. uh, I just spent time just hanging another out one. With, with Jonah Ray and yeah, we're never getting- call me. I'm sorry to think that you're the one avoiding me. <laughs> so, so I'm around. We were talking about, you know, he was asking questions about, about bands and stuff like that. And, and then um, brought you up and, and told me that story that like you had got through the whole tour and then at the very end got, got sick, which is yeah. such a, which is like, I mean, at least it didn't affect the tour, but like, God damn it. I, I couldn't be upset about it. You know, yeah. like all I, I was just thinking for like half a year, just like, fuck, like, I just hope we get through this because like, I, you know, you don't want to, what are you supposed to do if you're in like Atlanta and somebody gets COVID like you, like 
what do you do? Like, where you like you hang out in quarantine Atlanta for fucking five days? Like, that's a lot of money. That's a bunch of sh- like that's. It's a disaster. Uh, we have two other bands on tour with us. What are they going to do? Uh, our protocols were like super, super strict in our tour. And I'm thankful that they were because I think that that's why we like made it through. Totally. Um, but yeah, I didn't. I got COVID when I got home. Everybody in our group text was like, negative, negative, negative. And then I was like, sorry, guys, <laughs> detected. And they're like, no. Uh, uh, but like, I don't know. I've vaxxed and boosted. So, yeah. you know, I. I I got sick, but I didn't die. Yeah, so sure. that's fine. I'm glad. I, I would have yeah. gotten sick when I got home from tour anyway. That's what I thought it was. So totally. I mean, the post tour post tour flu is such a real thing where it's like you you finally yeah. get a full night's sleep and then you wake up and your body's just like fuck you. Yeah, it, it felt exactly <laughs> like that, except with a fever. Right. Um, but uh, that's it. And Got then it. I just, but which is bad, which like post tour flu is bad. So it felt bad, but also it was just like, I felt like I've definitely come home from tours where like I, it one UK tour I can remember in particular where like I, so I have like a weird vomit, I have vomit phobia uh, thing and I don't really throw up. Um, and I came home from this tour and like a day later I threw up for the first time in like 16 years or something. And I was like, oh shit, I have food poisoning. And then like three or four days later, I like walked out of my apartment to take a picture for like the cover of a seven inch. And I remember walking outside and being like, wait, whoa, I'm still like fucking sick, sick. So, yeah. and like, I didn't like eat much for like a week or something like that. Like, so that was, that was like, so I was like, oh, this is just a, this is just what this kind of sickness is. Right. I'm going to I'm going to smoke some weed and just try this thing out, you know? <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. Um well shit, I you know, I I feel like I could I, there's so much to, to get into. Um and I'm really sorry enjoyed. if I've been rambling. No, it's been great. It's been absolutely great. Um, I got to say I love that when you announced the Ska Dream um version of it that you ended up having George from Deaf Heaven. I texted George immediately. I was like what did you do on this record? I'm so excited. And he told me where, where he was on the record. And I was like, I have to check that out. It's so, so sick. I'm so happy that he did it. That was, that was like, there were a couple of like shoot for the moon guest stars on that record. And, uh, him and Angelo were the ones that I was like, wow, we actually got them to do it. Getting George to do it is just fucking, it's cool. He's yeah. got such a great scream. Yeah. He's got such a great screen. Yeah. Have you hung out with him? Have you hung out with him at all ever? I don't know him at all. He's Jack the, just Jack did the intro, you know? Yeah, he's the he's the absolute uh nicest person and the and the just warmest, sweetest person in the entire world. Maybe maybe that could be a, a good real Los Angeles hang one of these days. The oh, trade. is he a LA person? He is. He lives yeah, he lives out here. Oh, cool. Yeah. What's his address? Is his address also uh, <laughs> out there in the open? <laughs> oh, wait. Fuck. I think he just moved. Never mind. I j- we just had practice, and he and I was just informed he just moved to the East Coast. I think he's a New York guy now. Oh. Fuck. Oh, shit. Moved yeah. to New York now. Yeah, Crazy. I know. I know. Bodegas I know. aren't even open past midnight right now. Uh, it's not the same. It's uh, not the same. Well, shit, man. Well, let me, let me hit you with the last question, which is when was the first okay. time you felt like you were doing the thing you'd been working so hard towards? Um, okay. Do I have to give you a single answer or are multiple moments okay? The world is your oyster. You can get me whatever you want. Wow. Whatever whatever feels uh, good. I could like uh w- one of the moments I could think of that really hit me cuz I never I, like I haven't really been a goal-oriented 
person uh, as far as music goes. There's been like th- things where I've been like, you know, it would be nice if we could tour and play in like small clubs and not have any bad shows. Like that was a goal. Uh, but I don't really have like too many, like, I don't know. Um, but we did like, so when uh, Bomb early on, we did a bomb tour with like full band. And then I booked another tour with Rick Johnson, rock and roll machine, who I did that split with. Um, and I asked everybody in the band, I was like, Hey, all right, here's this tour. And everybody was basically like, we can't tour. Um, and it was a collective. So I like the whole idea behind it was like play in the band when you can don't play in the band when you can't, don't worry about it. Um, and then I ended up doing this tour, uh, I was going to cancel it. And Rick was like, no, just like use your iPod to play, use your laptop to play the beats on it. Uh, and I'll play bass and you play guitar. And then you do the same for my songs and it'll be fine. Um, and it was like, uh, like two or three, like the fact that like a couple of those shows, like early on were doing good. Like it started out, we were doing, it was doing good. It wasn't it, it was it wasn't like crazy or anything, but we were making enough with our fucking spray painted shirts and our CDRs and our donation bucket and like our gas receipts to like get to the next place. We were surviving. I think we came home with a little bit of rent money, too. We like picked up our straggler friend, uh, Matt Kurz, who was living in Virginia at the time and who had a one man band. Uh, and we were just like, get in the van, man. Let's go. We'll put you on all the shows. Let's fucking go. There is a tour show on that tour where like. Nobody showed up and we flipped a coin to decide whether or not we got the guarantee uh, for the day. Like there were little things like that that happened. And also Laura played that show, too. And like just seeing that, like that, like that was a moment where I was like, oh, fuck, like I didn't sell anything. I didn't fake anything. I didn't like do anything because I thought it was going to like you know, elevate our band to a certain status. Like I was just fucking around and having a fun time and playing music with my friends. And like, and also like in this very anti-capitalist way, um, and really like out there compared to what other bands were doing. And we still survived. We still made it home and we somehow made it home with a little bit of money. Like, Oh shit, I could do this. Like that was a tour where I, I decided I want to start quote unquote records where I was like, fuck, I should tell other people like, put your record, like put your records on quote unquote. And like people hear them. Like there, there might be like a community of people who will, who will find this thing. Uh, so that was, that was like, that's a moment that I can think of. And there's, there's been little things along the way, not little things, but like, it's hard to, it's hard to deny that like the first time that like I saw Craig of the Creek on TV and saw my music on TV that I wasn't like, Oh fuck. Or like the first time that I heard, uh, like a recording from Jack of our band. And I wasn't like, Oh my God, it sounds like a band or like, when worry got like a good pitchfork review and like USA today is like number, like there were things along the way that I was just like, Oh my God, it was, it kind of like excel, like moved past like anything that I kind of hoped, uh, where every time I'm just like, God, it just feels surreal. It's, it's less like, you know, when did you feel like you reach your goal more like these just kind of surreal things that like I was never even really shooting for, but I'm just like, all right, man, just keep moving. Just keep, just keep on going. Just keep your like eyes like stay fucking focused on like your dumb shit that you always do and just like have it keep going. Uh, and hopefully things will work out. Uh, 
and like there's been things like that along the way uh but like i could very specifically remember that bond the music industry tour as like oh shit like anything is possible and like basically this fucking lie i've been sold uh about like how you need to have a manager a booking agent and a record label and you need to have physical product and you need to like record in a studio like and you need to like have merch and you need to do all these things uh or like i don't know you come up playing music and it's only so long before somebody's trying to tell you how to monetize it um and that was it was like it was life changing to me to see that like it could succeed at least on at whatever at a level that I was happy with um, without having to do that. You know, it's an incredible answer. It's an incredible answer. Thank you so much. Hey! Steph. <laughs> Thank you. I love so much. to give incredible answers. Thanks for saying it was incredible. Yeah. I love we'll it. Serious, I love Tell it. Christine be like, <laughs> I did a good job of the podcast today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, this again, this is great hanging we out. We didn't with talk you. about Laura at all. Oh, you I, should know that, that Laura and I like grew up like, Five minutes from each other. Wow! On Long Island, our and, towns were like. Next okay, well, to let me each other. let me ask you this real quick. How was it? How was your first? Uh, what it, What's it like being a producer and stepping into oh. that role? Oh my god, I I really really liked it, and then it became like a bit of a moving target about how much I liked it. Uh, work with like, it, it works good when. Uh, it, this is, and I don't think this is a good attitude, but I'm just being honest. Like it, it, I really liked it when whoever I was working with would just like not argue with me and just try the idea that I was saying, or just listen to me. Sure. Uh, because I don't like arguing and I don't like trying to convince somebody to do something else. I'm realizing now, which like, I don't really produce too many records anymore. I haven't that I could think of. Like, I, I don't think. Like, I don't know if that's a good vibe. I don't know if I'm fucking with shit by, like, trying to, like, hone in songs and trying to, like, you know, make things fit in the certain way that I know it'll work. Uh, you know, uh, what was the first thing I produced? I don't know. It was, like, I would have called producing. Like, I would just record shit. Like, I was just, like, recording stuff with Laura. It, like, all, all, like, the early stuff, whether it was Bomb or Laura, um, was me uh trying to just make sure it sounded like something listenable you know right right uh, right and then I, oh oh i can and then i got hired to produce this band in Bang, uh who are all sweethearts but uh their sax player who was going to school for jazz at the time came in with like this horn part where uh it to my ears it was seven horn players playing a different note at the same time uh, and I was like, this doesn't work. Uh, and I said that in whatever way I said it in me. I think I was being nice. I don't know. Right. Um, but they all walked out and I was like, I was like, let's go through note by note and let's hack out some of these notes that don't sound right. Uh, and then they got all pissed off and walked out and that record took a long uh. time to finish. And then later I saw on the internet that like I produced their record and I was wasted the whole time. And I was like, I wasn't wasted at all. This is just how I am. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I, I do also love, um, I mean, we didn't even really talk about Chris Farron. Chris Farron is so, I mean, <sighs> I, I met Chris, uh, you know, only a little while after I, I met Casey. So I've known them since like they were, you know, teenagers, teenagers and um, watching Chris. That's so cool. Watching Chris, uh, you know, from being like very, like a, the first fake problem show on the West Coast when they played this like a <laughs> bar in Hollywood and oh, then cool. wa- watching them go to open for against me shortly like, thereafter like i've <clears throat> been on the sidelines of all them and their projects just like cheering them on and um 
watching Chris continue to grow and grow. And then the records you've done with Chris are so enjoyable and everything like that. I've, I love your relationship that you have with him and the music you two make together. It, it feels like you two bounce off each other really, really well. Um, so I, I, again, I don't know but if there's thanks, much of a question man. here, but I appreciate what you've done with Chris. I appreciate that we got to do it. We did not know each other really that well before that we had toured together uh, and I was like, I bet we'd, I bet it'd be fun. And Chris was like, okay, I'll do it. And then he came to my apartment. I remember walking up the stairs and being like, all right. Yeah. <laughs> like what, what's this going to be like? You I know? remember I, I had Chris on the show kind of early on. And I remember him telling me actually that it was because of you that he, uh, started learning how to like record himself, like at home, like figuring that stuff out and, and like how much of an influence you were for that. So, oh, cool. Yeah. yeah it's we, he, he we have had a great uh music musical relationship with each other we both really uh both very encouraging uh he's incre- like i don't know i probably wouldn't have confidence to think that anything that i'm doing sounds good if it wasn't for chris being like no that's a good idea you know uh i get in my head and and just think that like um come what i'm doing is too much or what i'm doing is just like you know, I need to shut the fuck up and fall in line. And I, and Chris has always just been like, no, let's do that thing. No, let's go for it. Uh, and that was like, you know, he's the best. He's great. And he's always going for it too. Have you heard death? Don't wait yet. I haven't listened. Score? I, I haven't heard the whole record. I've just, I've just heard Dude, the, the, the things they put out so far. I can't wait though. I love the whole concept. So of It's so good. It's out. It's so good. It's so good. Wait, uh, it's, ava- it's just it available right now. It's on fucking vinyl already. Oh my god! I thought that was just like announcement of the pre-order. I'm such a bad friend. Okay, I'm gonna. No, um, he 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 went uh, all all at the same time with it. Good, good, smart thinking. Smart thinking. I'm, yeah. yeah, I'm okay. I'm yeah. doing that as soon as we hang up this call. I'm I'm doing that. Um, all right. Well, sorry, I wasn't trying to put you on blast. Yeah, yeah, no. How perfect. good of friends I, are you with Chris? Huh? Yeah. The end of the description. <laughs> the end of the description on this episode is going to say, and then Jeff Rosenstock bullies Jeremy into buying a record. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you can't just stream it. You know Spotify's bad. <laughs> um, Jeff, you're the best. This is such a fun time. Thanks for hanging out with me. Uh, thanks a lot for having me, Jeremy. It was great. And that is our show. Thank you so much to Jeff Rosenstock for coming on. And thank you for listening. Reminder, if you want a little more Jeff, hit up patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon, where right now there's a bonus episode available where he answers questions that were submitted by subscribers. All right, I'll see you next week. And don't forget to subscribe to the show if you haven't done that already on uh, Apple, Spotify, wherever you're listening to it. And uh, leaving a nice rating and review is always so appreciated. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye.